You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. And uh, I'm just so glad you decided to come to church or someone dragged you here this morning. Hopefully um, you got a glimpse of the goodness of Jesus during worship today. Um, that he's truly better than we think, that we cannot exaggerate his goodness and his grace and his love um, over our lives and for us. So uh, there's those moments, those special moments, uh, where you can really just get a better glimpse in it, into who he is. And I love those these gatherings that we have together, and I'm going to share a little bit more about that in a little bit. But as many of you know, two weeks ago, um, Pastor Drew and Tanya um, began their uh, sabbatical for the for eight weeks. They'll be back August 28th. Um, but last week when I got home um, from church, I received a phone call from Tanya that they were currently loading Pastor Drew in an ambulance um, to go to the hospital. Um, he was breathing but unconscious, and he, there was an accident, and he um, was seconds away from drowning um, in a lake, but the Lord saved his life. And there really is no explanation for it other than that the Lord saved his life. Um, the medics, the doctors all said he should have been dead. Um, but the Lord preserved his life, has saved his life. And um, he wanted me to share with you. A lot of people have been asking questions, and so I wanted you to hear it from me. I'm sure he'll tell us the, the entirety of the story or tell you here the entirety of the story at some point. But um, as I was thinking about it this week, it really has renewed the call that he gave each one of us before he left, which was this isn't just a time of rest and reflection and recalibration for him and Tanya and his family, but for us as a church. And so my request for you this morning would be, would you intentionally and purposefully um, seek the Lord? Would you pray for Pastor Drew and Tanya and their kids? Would you ref reflect, ask the Lord to show you your own heart? Ask God to unify us as a church family so that the Lord can truly do something great. It's without a doubt that the Lord is not finished and has just started um, an incredible move of God here. And um, so would you just, I know some of you won't, but that's okay. Um, but for those of you who are deeply invested in this family, would you just commit to, to that place of prayer with me over the coming months and ask God to show you really, even in a greater way, what, what your part in that is. So let's pray. Lord, today, first, we just, we say thank you. We thank you for saving Drew, the friend, a literal brother, our pastor and leader, Lord, we thank you for saving his life. We know that no movement is, is based on one person, but God, we do know that he has an intricate part to play in, in what's happening here. And so, Lord, we just pray for greater rest, greater relaxation. We pray for just a, a renewal in their lives. Lord, I pray as they go to you in that quiet place, Father, that they would meet you, Jesus. That Holy Spirit, you would show yourself to them like you've never, like they've never known before, Lord. God, would you recalibrate us as a church? The things that we are focusing on, that we are fixing our, our eyes on that are not of you, God, we pray that they would fall to the wayside. You would point those out so that we could submit them to you, Jesus. Surrender them to you. 
Lord, we're digging our heels in deep. We're doubling down now, Lord, that we want you to move here in Ames, Iowa. We want the people of this city, of this region, God, to experience the power and presence of the risen King Jesus, of the risen King Jesus. So, Lord, we raise our hand and we say, God, pick me. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to do whatever you want us to do. And God, would you unify us that we would be a, a people of one accord, one heart, one mind, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. God is, is so good. He is so good. So I'm not uh, meaning to bum you out. It's actually really good news. All week long, I've had to remind myself, he's alive. He's not dead. My wife and I drove up there on Sunday with my parents, and I saw him with my own eyes. I put my arms around him. So he's alive. He has risen indeed. <laughs> If you have your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 12. We've been in this series entitled Awakening. Every generation needs an encounter, and it's become even more real to me this, this week, thinking about um, the events that occurred, that we truly only have one life to live. We have one chance. And as cliche and as tired as that sounds, you, you have one life. We'll only have one July 11th, 2021. And what will we do with the time that's given? I only get to raise my kids one time. I don't get a do-over. And so I don't t say all that so we put undue pressure on ourselves and live and walk in condemnation, but instead that we would take seriously the plans and purposes that God has given each one of you and then what that means for us as a body of people. That when I think about raising my kids that they truly would be people of his presence. Somebody pointed out to me in worship, Psalm 102 says that, it says your children and their children will, be, will thrive in his presence. And that is my heart's desire, not that my kids would fall in love with church, but that they would fall in love with Jesus. And because they love Jesus, they would love the church. And they wouldn't just fall in love with church culture and figuring out all the right things to say, but all the thing, right things to do and the right t-shirts to wear, but that they would know Jesus and their lives would reflect it. What a travesty it is oftentimes when we point people to organizations or denominations rather than the risen one, Jesus. And I can't, for my kids, I can't do that for them. Like I can't, I can't make them love Jesus. I can't make them encounter. I can create opportunities for them to do that, but then something they need to do on their own. And what happens is throughout the generations, you'll, you'll have one generation, maybe you've heard me say this before, but you'll have one generation who have this radical encounter with God and it changes them. He saves them, fills them with the Holy Spirit, baptizes them with the Holy Spirit. And then this radical encounter with the Lord. And so the fruit of that encounter is that there's a higher degree of holiness. They're going to places that no one else is willing to go. They're doing things that no one else is willing to do. And so then you see the next generation who sees the amazing fruit of that encounter. But if they don't have an encounter of their own, they'll try to mirror the fruit without the encounter. They'll try to, and that's when we get legalism and we get religion. It's just the rules. It's just going through the motions, but there's no actual encounter. And then you have the next generation after that who just sees the legalism and the religion, and they say, if this is all this is, I don't want any part of it. 
and we're robbing people of an experience. We are people of his presence. It's, what's, it's what distinguishes us from the world, that we're people of his presence. Listen, one of my best friends in the world is Kyle Trozen. He's incredibly uh, generous, kind. I uh, just love spending time with him. And um, I could tell you everything in the world that I know about Kyle. I could even bring you to his house and show you his stuff. I could show you where he sleeps. I could show you his clothes. I could tell you about his amazing comedic timing, right? I could tell you about all these things, but until you shake his hand, until you give him a hug, until you have a conversation, you don't know him. You have no idea who he is. You just know a lot of things about him, but you've never met him. And oh, that each one of us would experience Jesus, would encounter him face to face, not just emotional feelings, but a true encounter with the living God. And know that we might give our, our children and their children an opportunity to experience God's presence. And I believe over the next coming months, God is taking us deeper. God is taking us deeper. He's taking us deeper in this place of worship. But it's going to require something of us. It will require a complete and total surrender. No mixture in the heart. It's going to require us to throw off religion or all these different things that maybe we hang on to for the purity of his spirit. And in John chapter 12, we have this amazing story of just that. An amazing, extravagant act of worship and surrender by this woman, Mary, who we know very little about. She's one of three of the Marys that the Bible talks about. (coughs) Mary, mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and then we have this Mary of Mary and Martha. In John chapter 12, Jesus, or in the prior chapter, in chapter 11, Jesus has withdrawn to the wilderness, to a small village, to, because the Jewish leaders are seeking to kill him. But then he comes out of that place of hiding to, the, to Bethany because they're having a, a supper for him. They want to honor Jesus, and so he comes. So in verse 1, it's a beautiful phrase. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where, where Lazarus ra- ra- lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Jesus came to Bethany. You know, all over the Gospels, there's this phrase, Jesus entered, or Jesus came. And then we see directly after that, that everything gets turned upside down. The lepers get healed. The people who are blind receive sight. The religious people get even more upset Because why? Because Jesus entered. Jesus entered. Think about your life. If you've walked with him for any amount of time, what your life was like before and then what it's like now after Jesus entered your life, after Jesus came to rest in your heart. Part of his character and who he is, so much of who he is, is he cannot not change you. From the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, it says the Spirit was moving over the face of the waters. The the earth was formless and void in the Holy Spirit, and out of nothing came something. It's what he's always done. It's what he's always going to do is to change and transform. If you don't know Jesus in this place or you're far from him, I'm begging you today to, uh, to allow Jesus to enter into your heart, enter into your life, because he will change you and he will transform you. And that's why in this place we're so passionate about Jesus being made known. Not a name on a church, not a pastor or a leader, not not a denomination, but Jesus. Would people see Jesus when they enter this place? 
And may Jesus rest here. We often have that prayer, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. But I don't know if we always understand how dangerous of a prayer that is. Come, Lord Jesus. Because if he does, he's going to turn some tables. He's going to upset some things in our life. He's going to poke around in areas of our heart that we're like, hey, no one, no one goes in that place. But when we pray that prayer, come, Lord Jesus, he comes. And when he enters a place, it changes, it turns it upside down. And I would say, God, deliver us from having just another service, just another Sunday morning, but Holy Spirit, come in this place. Change us today. Do something new in my heart. Jesus, come. Jesus, come. Amen? And then it tells us why he came. In verse 2, it says, and here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Jesus came because they wanted to honor him. They wanted to honor him. They wanted to esteem him. They wanted to give him the worth and value that he was worthy of. There's a sacredness to our gatherings. There's a sacredness to your relationship with the Lord that we need to take hold of. That we truly honor him with every part of our lives. Like Proverbs chapter 3 says, acknowledge him in all of your ways. Submit to him in all of your ways. That's what it is to honor him. Like Colossians 3 says, everything that you, you say and do, do it as unto Jesus. That we live our lives with Jesus at the center. So that's going to translate to every part of your life. When you go to your, your, your job, it's going to affect the way that you talk to people. It's going to affect the attitude that you have at work. It's going to affect the things that you say to people, how you treat other people at home which is the easiest place to get lazy with how we treat one another. When we honor Jesus, it's going to affect the way that we talk to each other, how we treat one another, how we love each other, how we, how we, how we prefer one another above ourselves. Just in your time alone with him, when you're driving your car, you have those moments of, of acknowledging, submitting yourself, of, of honoring King Jesus. And when we honor him, his presence, he come, it comes into every part of our life. He infiltrates and invades every single part of our life. But sometimes we live half-heartedly. We live partially surrendered when he requires everything. So Jesus came because he was honored. And then we have Mary or Martha. She was serving while Lazarus was among those reclining in the table with him. And then Mary. So we have Martha, we have Lazarus, and Mary. And there was others there as well. What was the unifying subject or the unifying thing was Jesus, right? They were all there for no other reason than Jesus. Jesus is this great unifying force. We can try to unify under a cause or a person or a platform, but it, it won't last. It won't last. The only thing with any internal significance, any eternal unifying force is Jesus. All thing, everything else will pass away. They all came to honor Jesus, and so he was the center of attention. And it says in verse 3, Then Mary took about a pint of pure spikenard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So Mary comes. Martha's preparing the meal, which that was her act of love and worship. Lazarus was hanging out, resting with Jesus. And then Mary takes this 
Expensive perfume. Spikenard is this, this fragrance from India, imported from India. It was very costly. It was probable that it was a, a family heirloom. And so the occasion in which this would be used had to be an extremely important occasion. And Mary knew in her heart that that was the time. And so this was like a one-time use. It wasn't, they didn't have spray bottles back then, right? They had a jar, and they would actually break the top off of this, this alabaster jar, and she would use the entirety of it. This expensive perfume. And not only that, does she anoints, in, other, in Mark and Matthew, it says that they anoint, she anoints her, his, his head and his body, and here it says she also anointed his feet which would have been highly unusual. She's saying even Jesus' feet are worthy. His dirty, stinky man feet are worthy of this expensive perfume, this beautiful act of worship. And then she took her hair, which Paul says a woman's hair was her glory. She was, it was an extravagant and pure act of worship of complete surrender to King Jesus. Imagine it. And all of a sudden, this it says that the, the fragrance filled the room. And I imagine it spilled out into the, the streets that this people would immediately identify that this was an expensive, costly perfume. But what it does is it doesn't bring attention to Mary. It keeps the eyes on Jesus. Now the fragrance is coming from Jesus. This worship, like we just experienced, is a sweet fragrance to the Lord. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 5 that the elders come before Jesus and they come with their stringed instruments like these guitars. Guitars are in the Bible, so anybody who doesn't think so. But these guitar-like instruments in a bowl of fragrance or incense, it says, which are the prayers of the saints. Worship is prayer. Prayer is worship. In heaven, that's what they bring before Jesus and says, and then they sing a new song. Worthy is the one who opens the scrolls. Worthy is the lamb who is slain. This beautiful aroma. And it, it had to attract people, right? There's something that happens in this place of worship. If someone had no idea what was going on, wandered in off the street when we're worshiping King Jesus, they would say, wow, what is going on in here? There should be this beautiful, sweet aroma of our worship that, that illuminates Jesus to people. It says in verse 4, but then, like there always is, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Judas didn't like what was going on. We'll find out in a little bit, but I want to stop for a moment because I... I as I was reading it this week, I thought to myself, Judas spent three and a half years with Jesus. Mary, we only have a few recorded encounters with her and Jesus. There's probably more. But her time with Jesus was very limited, and Judas spent three and a half years with him, night and day. So how is it that Judas could be so hard-hearted? How is it that Judas could be focused only on himself? But Mary, we see such a depth of, depth of intimacy and relationship with Jesus. Well, like most things in the kingdom, it has to do with the heart. In Luke chapter 10, we see of another encounter where Mary and Martha are, uh, it says they received Jesus. 
They received Jesus. Earlier in worship, I think it was in the first service, Paige began to, to, to pray those words, Jesus, we receive you. It's this act of open-heartedness before the Lord. It says, Lord, whatever you want, I want that. I'm open to you. I receive you. I receive you, Jesus. And it's evident that, that Judas never truly received Jesus. How is it that we can be sitting in a service and you could have one person experiencing God in an incredible way and the next person sitting, sitting next to them with their arms folded internally? If you have your arms folded, don't get nervous. Arms folded saying this is really lame. It's a posture of the heart. God will give as much of you as you want, as much of himself to you as you want. It's all how we receive them. So then he goes on to say, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. The purity of this act of extravagant worship exposed the mixture in Judas's heart. Mary was focused on Jesus, pouring it all out, surrender to Jesus, and Judas, his eyes were on himself. I want to encourage you, if you have a hard time thinking about anyone else but yourself, spend an extended period of, uh, of a consistent time focusing on Jesus. Like in your time alone with him, uh, discipline yourself to focus just on Jesus. Spend a time, uh, a season of your life, not even asking for anything, but just worshiping Jesus. Thinking and praising him and thinking about who he is, considering how incredible he is. And you'll, you'll, you'll see as your, your, your eyes stop focusing on yourself and all these other things and start just being thrown upon the person of Jesus. This is a very dangerous attitude that Judas has here, and we see it in the church. It's this critical and judgmental heart. He didn't care about the poor. And many times in the church, we can pass being critical off as discernment. Something rubs us the wrong way. And so we're critical of it, not knowing if it's from the Lord or not. And a, criti- and a critical heart is one that is, is interpreting the events through a fleshly mind. Where discernment is interpreting the events through a heavenly perspective. God is telling you whether or not this is from heaven or whether this is from the flesh or whether this is from the enemy. And if you find yourself having a critical heart or a critical spirit, get before the Lord because the Bible, it's a sign of pride. And the Bible says God gives grace to the humble. And we see grace poured out on, on Mary, but it says that, that God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud, and that is not a side of God I want to be on. Lord, would you purge us from a judgmental and critical heart in Jesus' name? Lord, would you bring us back to the purity of worship, of the simplicity of childlikeness in your presence, Jesus? Would you set us free from any mixture in our heart, Jesus, so that we can see you rightly, see you clearly? And Jesus steps in and sticks up for Mary. He says, leave her alone, Jesus replies. It was intended that she should, have, she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. In Mark, it says, leave her alone. She did what she could. You know, that Jesus is, that's what Jesus is requiring of you, to do what you can. He's not comparing you to anyone else. But he's saying, do what you can. 
And for Mary, we see there's this urgency. She knew that this was the last chance that she was going to have to show Jesus in this way her love. There was an urgency to it. She did, and she did everything that she could. It required something precious from her. You know that in Mark and in Matthew, it says that everywhere the gospel is spread, this story will be told. This story will be told. Why? There was no miracle that happened here. But it was a woman completely surrendered, did not, had no fear of man, did not care what anyone thought. She said, this is my opportunity right now to show Jesus I love him and there's no shadow of turning within me that I love Jesus with everything that I have. And you know, like I, I've been thinking about this week, there's only gonna be one July 11th, 2021. So today, there's an urgency. There's an intentionality that you should, we, sh we should have in, our, in showing our worship to King Jesus. That I only have one sh chance today, one shot today to show Jesus that I love him, to cast it all down. And then again tomorrow, there's only going to be one July 12th, 2021. And tomorrow there's a new urgency. Today, Lord, I want to I show you, I want to honor you with everything that I am today. Verse 8. It says, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Is Jesus saying here the poor are not important? No, he is not, because we, we see many times throughout the gospel how we are supposed to prioritize the poor. But he's saying in this moment, I am the most important thing. Listen, our causes, the things that we're passionate about, can never become more important than Jesus. What we think we're doing for him can never be more important than Jesus. He is the center and everything else pour, pours out from that place. We give because he gave. We love because he loved. We're generous because he's generous. We give grace because he's been gracious towards us. We're merciful because he's been merciful towards us. And not the other way around. Religion says, I've got to make myself clean from the outside in. And Jesus says, let me wash you from the inside so that your outside will be clean as well. Worship team, you can come. It's funny, I know some of you are thinking this is a real Sunday school answer message. Jesus, it's just Jesus. It's Jesus. But oh, that we would never graduate from that. It's just Jesus. You know, as a pastor, I meet with people. I talk to people every week that are dying of cancer or marriages are falling apart or mental health issues or addiction. And my trite advice is never going to be enough. It might carry them for a while, but it's never going to be enough. But Jesus is the only one that can change. Jesus is the only one that can heal and transform and if we allow him into those areas of our life and we, we put our dependence on him, he will. Not, a, not one of us in this place can save anyone else. None of us in this place can heal anyone else. But Jesus' desire is to heal and to save. And he will if we'll let him. Often we say in this place, Lord, if your presence isn't here, we don't want to, there's no really point in us meeting. This is just a glorified social club where we come and sing some songs. But if his presence comes, which it does.
we're unified under the banner of Jesus, he will change us. He will shape us. Like that clay, he will mold us into something beautiful, something useful. Just stand across this place today. Like I said earlier, I believe that the Lord is taking us into a season over the summer here where we're going to experience a greater depth of intimacy through worship. But it's going to require something from us. That dying of, of, this, of ourselves. You know, when Jeff Hubing was back here in January, he said, often when we're following Jesus, we're following him, we're following, we're walking on the path, and Jesus leaves the cross for us to pick up. But many of us will stand there, we'll look at that cross, we'll say, I don't really want to pick up that cross and follow Jesus. So what happens is we sidestep the cross, and while sidestepping the cross, we get off the path and we start wandering on our own way. And we think, how did we get here? How did I get off track so far? We have to go back to that place where we left the cross, we have to pick it up again. Forsake ourselves, take up that cross and follow Jesus again. Something is going to be required of each one of us in this season. It might be a greater season of intentionality with what you consume, the things that you put in your mind and your heart, what you do with your time. It might be a getting out of the box in how you worship, trying something new, maybe lifting your hand a little further up this time, see, if that, see what happens there. Maybe dance a little bit. Nobody's looking. I'm a, ter- I'm a terrible dancer, Right? just to see what what will happen. God, break off the fear of man. Man, we we have one life. One life. You have one life. And one day we're going to be with him and we're going to see him. And I believe he'll show us our life in review. And we'll look back and we'll see the ways he carried us, the ways that he, the times that he, he literally saved our lives and we didn't even know it. The times that he saved us from our own stupidity. But I believe we'll also see the, the opportunities that we missed. And they were a result of our fear and our cowardice and our pride. And I say, God, show me those opportunities now so I don't miss it. Show me it now, Lord. I don't want to miss it. Because when we experience him in this place, we experience him not just on Sundays, but when you're alone by yourself or you're in your car, you're worshiping with your family, and we encounter King Jesus, it's, it's going to radiate out of your life. It's going to affect every single part of your life. It's going to do something to you because Jesus has come. His presence has entered. Would you, if you're willing, if you're able, would you just lift your hands? to heaven. I want to pray a prayer and hopefully you'll agree with me. Just a prayer of consecration, of surrender to King Jesus. Lord, today we say yes and I pray God that the the anthem of this, of this generation, of this season of our church would be yes to you, Jesus. Yes to you, King Jesus. And Lord, we submit ourselves again to you this morning. We surrender, God. We bring our most precious things before you and we lay them at your feet, God. 
all of our own glory, God. We lay it at your feet right now, King Jesus, and we honor you in this place. God, expose the mixture in our heart, anything that's not pleasing to you, any half-heartedness, Lord. Expose it, God. We want to be like little kids with a purity of heart to believe you for the impossible, to believe that you could take a little church in Ames and change the world, Lord, to change our region, God, to take laid down people who love you radically to affect a world in Jesus' name. May we be people of your presence. May it be what distinguishes us from the world, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Before we go, I want to just give an opportunity. If there's anyone here that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you've had one in the past, but you need to get your life right with the Lord. I was 20 years old, and I was a drug addict, alcoholic, suicidal, and Jesus changed my life. And I'm not unique. I'm not special. He can do that and wants to for anybody and everybody. So if that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. It's not to embarrass you or call you out or make you do anything weird. I just want to pray for you, and I want to know who I'm praying for. So if, if that's you this morning, you need to get life right with the Lord. Would you put a hand up? I want to pray for you. Amen. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Would you just agree with me? If, even if you didn't raise your hand, just agree with me. Lord, today I give my life to you. I surrender every part, everything, every part of who I am to you, Jesus. And I receive the gift of salvation that comes only through the blood of Jesus and nothing else. I ask you to change my heart, change my life. Right now I start pursuing the things of the Lord and I stop pursuing the things of the world. Holy Spirit, I pray for those in this place who are responding to that call. I pray, Lord, fill them with your Holy Spirit to overflowing in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.